Good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world today. This is David Robert for the Marketplace of Ideas podcast. I hope everyone is doing well out there. Today is April the 10th, 2022. We have another episode where I'm in the car again. I've got the headset on, so if you hear any background noise, just know that um, it is the vehicle that I'm driving. It is, uh, we're moving, we're heading into the city, doing some shopping there, uh, picking up some groceries and what have you. But I thought I would have a little bit of an episode here because it's, uh, as people like to say, dead time where you're just driving. But um, hopefully everyone is doing well. Uh, Want to start off by saying that if you, wherever you are, you can find the Marketplace of Ideas podcast wherever you get your podcast. We're talking from iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, you name it, you can find us out there. So look for the Marketplace of Ideas podcast. Like I always say, we got a lot of good stuff coming. Uh, we have a few interviews lined up uh, with some uh, friends and, and people that I know working in various industries that are going to be really interesting. So look, uh, keep a keep a weathered eye out for that, or a weathered eye on the on the horizon. I think isn't that what Peter Pan said to to Wendy? You know, first star ahead till morning, or I don't know, something like that. Anyways, so today we are going to be talking about something that's a little, well, no, I wouldn't say a little bit controversial, but how to deal with um, people in your life that may or may not, you may or may not get along with. So I was reading an article a while back in regard to, um, oh, this was a lady who had a, a racist mother-in-law, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, she was of Australian descent, and so this this lady, uh, I believe she was of Middle, Middle Eastern descent, and her boy, her fiance slash, I believe, husband was from, from Australia. And so the family would get together, and the, the, the Australian family is quite conservative, and they had a lot of various views in regards to, um, in regards to policies and politics when it came to, um, race and immigration and things of that nature. And so one of the things you should know is that in Australia right now, it is probably the second most radicalized country when it comes to um, conspiracy theories such as QAnon and things of that nature. And there's a very strong right-wing sort of populist nationalist movement that's being being started over there that's, that's starting to come on the rise. And so being somebody, this lady who was, uh, who is of of, uh, Malaysian, I believe Malaysian descent, she would come up, she would find that a lot of the uh, topics and conversations at family gatherings would turn political, and her husband's family being quite right-leaning, there would be some, I wouldn't say issues, but there would be definitely some spicy conversations had, and a lot of overt racism, uh, overt, covert, whatever you want to call it, and she made the decision to preemptively just divorce her in-laws. She um, had a few gatherings that were a little bit less than savory, and she kind of said, look, you know what, Um, as it stands right now, it's just going to be the three of them for family gatherings, and then I do believe the husband sometimes goes to visit uh, his, his mom and dad and what have you, and things of that nature, but she has relegated herself to just saying, no, I'm not going to put up with this, I'm not going to be a part of it, I'm not going to allow myself to be dehumanized and disrespected and treated with you know, racism and bigotry on account of who she is as a person, not based on her character or the content of, of what comes out of her mouth or anything of that nature. And it got me thinking about the, the current state of pop culture, if you would, where we're in now. We had a, a little... Uh, had an episode a little while back about cancel culture, and it's sort of like a a segue, I guess, of what can lead into cancel culture, what we're talking about today, where how do you deal with people who have differences of opinions, you know, different views, and still maintain a cordial sort of uh, a cordial relationship? And can you even do that with people who have ideals and political sort of machinations, if you would? that are, that run 
direct opposite to not only your sensibilities and how you, you know, run your life, but also to your safety. So a great example, uh, one of the, the family members of this lady, one of her extended family members, her in-laws, was very much against uh, immigration, very much against the fact that so much of Australia is, as in the mother's you know, words were saying, were being taken over by foreign actors that you couldn't even recognize um, the country anymore, that there were so many migrants and immigrants coming in and bringing their own practices, their own religions, their own ways of living, that they weren't assimilating into uh, the broader range of Australian life. And I know being a first-generation Canadian, my parents coming from the Caribbean, that's a big fear. In particular, in particular, when you have younger children, you want them to be raised with your values, your principles, the foods you ate, the things that you kind of you kind of did as a child. But the fact of the matter is, if you leave your country of origin and you bring your children, offspring, extended family into a space where you know most people don't look like them, don't sound like them. Uh, the food that you used to eat is not available, the weather is different, you're going to get some forms of assimilation. And that's a huge fear for a lot of families that come across because they feel that their language, their culture, their beliefs will be kind of lost. And then with intermarriage within, you know, um, people who are not of your culture, or not of your racial makeup or background, you could see a lot of those things get lost. And that's a huge fear. And so there's a lot of people out there who would, who feel very threatened and very, you know, put off by the idea of, of uh, diversity and a melting pot. And how do you even define that? You've seen that in places such as um, England right now, where there is a huge diaspora of, of uh, Middle Eastern, Asian, East Indian individuals that are coming into the country that have been there for many of years, and their kids are now having kids. And Again, you'll hear the same sort of thing coming from um, token racists who are saying that you can't even recognize the country anymore and that it's, it's all gone to the dogs, you know, kind of thing. And so this woman, basically upon hearing a lot of this thing coming from her extended family, said, I'm out. And that got me thinking, like, how, how can we, well, I guess first, how can we as a people kind of come together if you kind of shut people out? But then, how do you also maintain relationships by honestly still maintaining your own mental health and your own self-respect? You know, should a person have to suffer through contentious dinners and, you know, weird brunches where there's the backdrop and the specter of racism just lurking in the background? You know, is it, is it better? Is it a good message to send to your children and to family members that, you know what, um, I'm not putting up with this, and we're, we don't have to talk. And, and to be fair, I'm, I'm kind of on board with what the woman said. Um, there's a lot of people in my life that over the last number of years, due to some of their beliefs and views online and, and certain discussions with them, you've had to remove them from your life, toxic people, you know, um, people who have, who have various views that, are, that run, you know, not alongside yours, it doesn't mean you have to cancel them. It doesn't mean you have to demand that they lose their job and that they can't work anymore. But there is that feeling of, hey, like you believe that immigrants shouldn't be in this country. I'm an immigrant who's law abiding and, you know, sticking up for the truth. Why, why are we friends? <laughs> you know, or, hey, I believe in pro-choice and you're, you know, pro- um, you know, um, pro-life, I guess if that's the case or whatever. And we don't see eye to eye, but you're my brother, my, my husband's sisters, you know, dog walkers. Why do I need to be around you? And I, I definitely feel that in, in dealing with people, like, I guess the, the main question is how do you deal with people who you don't get along with, who you don't see eye to eye with, that you have different political, religious, social views. Well, you don't. You just leave them be. And that does not mean you cancel them. That doesn't mean they, they can't work or you ban them from family gatherings. But you, you, don't ha you, cannot, you can't change your friends, but you can change your friends. You, know, you don't have to change people, but you can change yourself. You know? and, if, and if you have the ability to walk, if you're not imprisoned, if you're not enabled in any way, we can look to that person and say, I recognize your ability to have the choices and 
have the attitudes and the political views that you have. I support it a thousand percent. It might be asinine. It might be probably, you, you might be the worst person on earth, you know, but in reality, I respect your, your humanity and who you are as a person, but you are not for me and I'm not for you and vice versa. We just do not vibe. And I don't care if it's your mother. I don't care if it's your father. I don't care if it's your brother. I don't care if it's your priest, a rabbi, a new priest, an old priest, you know, your lover, your, your hookup partner. If you're in a relationship with anybody, be it guilty by association or be it a direct love interest or family member, and they, they're spouting complete nonsense, you know, they are, you know, overtly, covertly racist, full of bigotry, speaking that hate speech, deep six them, get rid of them. And if you can't get rid of them, then you, you remove yourself from the situation. I, a long time ago, this reminds me of a, uh, of a book title I heard a long time ago, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And in it, if you've read the book, it's, it's a pretty cool book. It talks about how the difference, the differences between rich people and poor people when dealing with finance and how that kind of shapes how we grow and how we think about money and vice versa. And, and in it, he talked about the rat race and how to beat the rat race. And the way you beat the rat race is you don't, you don't play in the rat race. You don't get involved in it. The system is designed in a way particularly in the West, when it comes to finance, when it comes to the economy, that we are, in a sense, kind of like batteries, where you go to work, you know, you get your, your education, you raise your family, you live in your house, you, play, you pay your property tax and your mortgage, you pay all of these kind of things. And at the end of the day, you, you, you may go home and you know, collapse on the couch, Watch some Netflix, have a bite to eat, shower, shave, you know, spend time with the kids, do the same thing over again. Now, that's a broad generalization, but the fact of the matter is that's a pretty common place for our, our society as it, as, it, as it is in 2022. And so what you see is this attitude of, hey, you know what, maybe there's a different way to think about these things, right? Maybe you don't have to do the same thing that everybody else is doing. Hey, maybe you don't have to put up with the crap from from racist Auntie Shirley who um, <laughs> who believes that the moon landing was faked and QAnon is real. Maybe you don't have to listen to um, you know Uncle Mort who um, who swears up and down that Trump is really you know about to destroy the deep state and that um, you know Nixon's still alive and he's chilling with Pac. And Elvis somewhere on a beach in, in, in Cuba. You know, or the fact that, hey, there are people out there who have just views and attitudes and and ideals that are just so batshit insane that it's probably better for you not to be around these people. You know, it's probably better for your own mental health to say, hey, I don't really want to sit through another sweaty dinner with this person. <laughs> You know, I don't really have to go to another family gathering with this nut job and and stand on your own too. And now the sad thing is it can be tough. You know, it can be difficult to say to people in your life, particularly people who are people who, to the person that you love, that the people that they love, you don't love them or that you're just not going to put up with it or you're just not here for it. You know, like that new Jordan Peele movie, just nope, not doing it. And that can be very difficult and very hard, and that could be that could cause some very difficult conversations, some very uncomfortable, um, some uncomfortable, like you know, settings. But in the end, and I, I kid you not, from personal experience, when I've removed people, and, and just to be clear, I've probably been toxic to some people in their lives because I know. I've been thrown shade from a lot of people and been, you know, wondered, hey, why doesn't this person call me anymore? And realized, oh, maybe I'm not for them either, you know, because it, it works both ways. You can kick toxic people out of your life and you can be that toxic person that just doesn't vibe and just doesn't have the right frequency with this friend or that friendship has run its course and 
you know, there's just no reason for you to be in each other's orbit anymore. But I, uh, but, but I can attest as being somebody who has removed people or just removed himself from various people, it feels so effing good. I, I kid you not. You feel like you just took a dump. Like, I, I, I wish I could be less kind of graphic about it, but you feel so relieved and just so happy about the idea of not having to see these people or not having to talk to somebody who, you know, is just, is just so toxic or even at my, my old job. Now, just to be fair, the people at my old job who I still talk to, that's cool. And there, there's a few that I still connect with, but there's been some jobs I've been on where, you know, they want to, they kind of want to be friends afterwards, you know, and still kind of maintain a relationship. And you're like, hell no, that's the last thing you want, you know? And again, growing up as I did with uh, some of the family members that I've had, uh, there's some that I still reach out to and talk to who are great people. And there's some who, like my dad's brother, you know, my uncle, I, I think I've seen him in the, once in the last 25 years, maybe, if that. Like, it's just, it's sad, <laughs> you know? Like, but you get used to it to the point where I, I mean, not that I don't care about him, but I just don't know who he is. You know, there's just no feelings there. And I, I think that's where kind of I want to end it. It's like, you don't have to be angry and upset and mad and bitter and frustrated at people. You don't actually have to have an opinion about them either way. People have the right to think what they want, to feel what they want. And if you have the ability and the and just the, the wherewithal to say, you know what, I'm going to be a little bit more self-aware and and just not get wrapped up in whatever whatever stuff that you know maybe your friends or family are up to that you are like I, I just want I just want peace you know what I mean I just want freedom I do not want the drama I think it's safe to say that that's within your rights you know I think it's safe to say that it's okay to say you know what nope you do you I'll be over here I'll do me and never the two have to meet. It can be so peaceful. But again, the top thing is that the first thing you have to recognize where you're at. You have to be honest with yourself and honest with your loved ones and realize that there might be hurt feelings, right? This might be something that causes a little bit of, of anger and resentment, okay? Second, that you have to remember that you're doing it for yourself so that if if these people in your life that are toxic and that are hateful and that are full of vitriol and anger and rage you can say look i it's just not healthy for me or my children or whatever and third realize that in making this choice at the end of the day you don't have to justify it to anybody you know you don't have to go years and years like i did with certain people and 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 just and just be on edge all the time around them or be uncomfortable around them and that's i'm not saying you don't want to ever be uncomfortable but there's a certain good uncomfortable and then there's a certain okay this is just not even helpful there's the uncomfortable that challenges you and then there's the uncomfortable that's like this is disgusting like why am i around these people you know so yeah that that was an interesting article i read and it kind of got me thinking about some stuff in my own life as well as people i know um, and, and how within the last couple of years, there's been more of a movement towards maintaining your mental health. And so hopefully this helps with that. And if you are, you know, having problems, um, with, you know, that kind of thing, uh, I will link the article in the show notes there so you can check it out. But until next time, take care and be good to one another out there. Good morning, good afternoon. How you doing out there today? This is David Robert for the Marketplace of Ideas podcast. I hope you're doing well and enjoying this Easter weekend. It is April the 15th, 2022. And we're coming to you live from the basement studio here. We've got a lot of great things planned coming up in the next couple of months. So I want you guys to stay tuned. 
Also, before we get started on this episode, just hopefully, um, if you are interested in other episodes we've had of the Marketplace of Ideas podcast, just check us out on Google, Google Play, uh, Stitcher, Podbean, Apple, uh, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find the Marketplace of Ideas. We are there. We are into our 30th episode today, and I just want to welcome you guys in as we buckle in for another Another uh, deep dive into culture and the arts, particularly in pop culture. And what we're going to be talking about today is something that's kind of near and dear to myself in particular because of the subject matter as well as just the story behind it. So growing up in the 80s, I was born in 79, we were awash with a glut of pop culture icons. It was the the era of... um, introduced the era that introduced cable television um, in the 80s and the 90s. We saw a proliferation of cheaper goods coming from China and Malaysia and Vietnam and the, the rise of the big box stores such as Walmart and Sears and Consumers and Kmart and Zellers. Some are still with us. Some have gone the way of the dodo. But we were able to see this huge amount of toys and marketing promoted primarily for children in that in those two decades and we saw everything from he-man to batman to the justice league to uh spider-man to gi joe to my pet monster to pound puppies to cabbage patch kids to gem to silverhawks to visionaries to the cowboys of moon mesa to um silverhawks what else we had mask we had Oh my goodness, we had uh, the aspect of Super Mario Brothers, you know, the video game consoles such as Sega and Atari and Coleco and um, Sega Genesis and Game Gear and Game Boy. And then you and then you bring that all together with um, videos that were music videos that were just kind of coming out in that time period. We had the cassette players coming out. Um, we had movies such as Alien and Robocop, Back to the Future, The NeverEnding Story, The Princess's Bride. We had WWF Wrestling. We had Ghostbusters, Turtles. We had the real Ghostbusters. We had, uh, what else did we have? Pat, we had um, Gummy Bears, Chippendale Rescue Rangers. You had Darkwing Duck. You had, um, oh my goodness, you had Disney. You had Warner Brothers. You had Hanna-Barbera. You had the Flintstones. You had the Jetsons. You had... Uh, the Scooby-Doo gang, you had the Smurfs, you had Garfield, you had um, Heathcliff, you had the Family Circus, you had Snoopy, you had um, Calvin and Hobbes. What else did we have? Uh, we had everything from Marvel, from Wolverine to the Hulk to, you know, to the X-Men, the TV show, to the Batman Adventures, to every and anything you could possibly think of that is still permeating in my life today you know, is from that, from those two decades, primarily, that kind of have shaped so much of what we're seeing in music and movies, um, everything from skateboarding to rollerblading to neon pop to synthwave music to, um, oh my gosh, we had, we had movies such as, um, uh, Alien, we had, uh, we had the Ghostbusters movies, we had, what else was out there? Um, we had the burgeoning sounds of hip hop coming out of the Bronx, South Bronx. You know, we had, um, we just had so much stuff. You know, we had uh, the romantic comedies of um, 16 Candles and The Breakfast Club and Ferris Bueller's Day Off and, and Family Matters and The Cosby Show, Perfect Strangers. I mean, it was just this perfect storm of at least 20, 20 years of just the the foundation of so much of the things that I love and people around the globe love that in all of that in that huge awash of of like you know of pop culture goodness there was a lack of representation and not to put a fine point on it or to you know to kind of browbeat the point but it was very very I mean, heck, we even had movies such as Star Wars. I'm sorry, I'm I'm forgetting Star Wars and Star Trek and all these other IPs that were so indicative of that time period that we did not see a lot of people that were brown, that were Hispanic, that were Native American, Native Canadian, that were Aboriginal, 
that were gay, that were, you know, all those sorts of others that we didn't see were kind of not given a proper place as far as representation, as far as being seen as whole fleshed out characters. And so when we go down the toy aisle back in the 90s, you would see Superman, you would see Batman, you would see Robin, you would see Spider-Man, you would see the Hulk, you would see, like I said, Silverhawks and, um, and cops, you know, and the A-Team and things of that nature. And very rarely would you see people that were of, excuse me, black American or just, you know, black in, in total. I have a poster on my wall here that has literally the, almost the whole DC universe from the 80s and not the expanded version from the New 52 and everything else, but just, just the DC universe. And I'm looking at it and I see literally one black person, which is Cyborg. I see aliens, I see, I see Atlantin, Atlanteans, I see people from Themyscira, I see people from Apocalypse, I see the Joker, I see Catwoman, Batwoman, Black Canary, Shazam, the Texas Tornado, Mr. Miracle, I see Green Lantern, Cheetah, Mesh Manhunter, Dr. Fate, Hawkman, Firestorm, we're talking uh, Harley, uh, Harley Quinn, Two-Face, Darkseid, uh, Brainiac, uh, who else? Zod, um, you know, Poison Ivy, but there's, it's, it's kind of embarrassing. What we saw in that time period was people put, portraying, you know, um, characters and storylines with people that looked like them. And unfortunately, there were not a lot of creators in that time period that were given the same license to put out, um, I guess you could say stories and you know, action figures and toys that looked looked like them. Now, to be fair, we did have Cyborg, we did have Mr. T, we did have um, Spawn, which was, you know, Al Simmons, which was a black character created by um, Todd McFarlane. We had Black Lightning. Firestorm was later retrofitted to be a black individual in the New 52 in DC. Um, we have Miles Morales. We have the Spider-Man from 2099, who I believe is of, of Spanish or Latina, Latina X or Puerto Rican descent. We have who else? Uh, the lead, the lead fellow uh, um, from Cops is was a black gentleman on the cartoon series. But that that was about it. We didn't have a lot, you know. And so, looking back at that time period, you don't necessarily look at that and start to think about all of the issues that come up with that sort of thing. You just, as a kid, love all this stuff and you, you, you fantasize about it and you, you dream and you, you stay up late talking with your brother about who, what characters you're going to play when the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Secret of the Use comes out or, you know, um, what's going to happen after Luke found out that Dark Vader wasn't, you know, is his father. Spoiler alert, you know, um, or things of that nature or, you know, the never ending story or, um, you're Jones in and just, you know, about the, the, uh, what was that movie? The, um, oh my goodness. It was on Disney, uh, flight of the navigator, you know, or just the lost boys or just all these movies, cartoons, comic books, um, did not, when I saw them, I saw great stories. I saw fleshed out characters. I saw, just this wonderful array of fantasy and, and, and sci-fi and horror, but I did not see myself. Now that, again, that didn't take away from my appreciation of it, my love of it, the fact that I am a 40 plus year old man who's still enthralled with this stuff. And, you know, if you look around my office and the studio here, you can see it kind of on almost everything that I'm about. And I still did not see a lot of myself there. You know, and as you get a little bit older and you have children and, you know, people who are my age and a little bit older now are starting to introduce this stuff to their children and you're starting to wonder, man, like, you kind of wonder what a lot of this landscape for pop culture would look like now had a lot of these characters that we grew up with had a little bit more people that looked like us. And so that's what we're kind of talking about today in... Speaking on that, the, the character of He-Man, 
was one that was massively successful. It started in 1982, kind of reached its zenith at around 85, 86, started to dip down as we entered into the 90s, had a really successful uh, movie. Um, you know, I mean, by the numbers may not have, oh, excuse me, not have done, you know, gangbusters, but it was still pretty popular. The toy, um, the toys were insanely popular. If you're able to check out the series, The Toys That Made Us, I believe the second series or the second season talks about that in depth and it goes, it talks about the creators of it and kind of what it meant for Mattel to have such a massive success on their hands, right? And so in staying in that vein, when we look at He-Man and we look at the Masters of the Universe, we look at that, that world, there aren't a lot of people of color. Now you have aliens, you have Cyclone, you have Mosquito, you have you, all these characters that are wacky and zany and that come from that, um, that sort of template of Conan the Barbarian and the sort of swords and sorcery and sandals kind of motif. But again, not a lot of characters. And I, I feel actually in the first couple of waves, you actually did not have any characters of, of color outside of maybe uh, Fisto's nemesis. You had some characters that weren't really white or black. They were just monsters or they were aliens, but there wasn't anybody that pr predominantly looked as a black character. And so... This is where Sunman comes up. Sunman comes into the picture. And so what had happened was, um, I was I was checking out Pixel Dan's channel. He's a prolific toy reviewer and collector. And he was sharing about a certain, um, I guess you could say, character that's being brought into the He-Man universe by the name of Sunman. And I, you know, being raised in Canada, Sunman was an American sort of, uh, sort of character I didn't have any recollection or any memory or any experience oh, excuse me, with this character and so upon further review he was able to actually reach out to the creator of it and the story is is just amazing so it starts off here by um, I checked out creations on Mattel.com and so it basically says here behind every superhero is a mom and when a three-year-old boy feared he could never be a superhero because of his skin color, his mother took action. Yila Eason created Sunman to address the lack of representation in comics and action figures in the 1980s. We couldn't be more prouder to reintroduce Sunman and his story to you today. So basically the story behind it was is that this mother was walking through the aisles with her three-year-old boy in 1987 and he came kind of came up to her and basically said mommy I don't believe I could be a superhero you know I can't be brave I can't be strong I can't be all these things and as a mother would say to her child you know what, what are you talking about sweetie what's going on and he basically said well I don't see any heroes that look like me and rather than despair and, and scream you know racism bigotry hatred and things of that nature she did what uh, what anybody would do when you see your child hurting you take action now knowing the the time period that this took place in which was the 80s there was no internet there was no you know social media there was none of this sort of stuff the monumental task of putting together a toy from scratch was almost i wouldn't say impossible but very unlikely but as she stated in the interview with Pixel Dan that ignorance is bliss and she just figured, hey, what's the, how hard could it be? And she said something that really hit me that made me, made me think like, if you're not afraid of something, then you're not gonna be challenged to do something about the situation. So as long as you're like, you don't understand how impossible it is, the pricing, the cost and everything else, then you're gonna take it upon yourself to say, okay, let's try this, let's try to do this. And so her story begins where, now she worked in corporate America, I believe she was a journalist as well as a uh, individual who looked at spreadsheets and, and um, dealt in the financial aspect of her newspaper that she worked for. So she was already well versed in profit margins and things of that nature. But heading into the toy industry during the 80s, it was a very closed club, as she said. And if you didn't know a lot of people, you weren't an insider, you didn't get a lot of um, access to a lot of the stuff. And bottom line, it's, it's about molds and it's about sending a lot of this stuff off to other countries 
and then getting designs back and going back and forth and everything else. And it took a lot of money. And so she was able to, with a grassroots movement, take out ads in Jet Magazine, which was a black magazine that my mom used to subscribe to back in the day. Um, so she would do that. And basically she would um, reach out to a grassroots movement, to so the barbershops and everything else. And there was a real hunger for this thing. There was a real attitude that people said, look, we want something that represents us. And this is how you get inclusion the right way. So you look at characters like Cyborg, Miles Morales, like I was saying before, Black Lightning. Um, who else is out there? Black Panther, Storm. Characters that are not carbon copies of already established characters. You know, um, if, if they are, then you might see them in an alternate universe or in a different version or format, but not taking away from, like, say, Kal-El. Like, I don't want a black version of Kal-El or a black version of Princess Diana or, you know, or um, Aquaman, right? Those are hand-me-down pity, char pity characters, what they are. What you want is a character that can stand right alongside the He-Mans and the Batmans and the, and the Supermans and actually have a, a place where they can express themselves and be full fleshed out characters so they could represent all the you know, intricacies and complexities of what it means to be not only a superhero or somebody of power or somebody of great, you know, um, I guess you could say great, great, uh, great strength, but also the complexities of, of, of being somebody of color in a society that doesn't necessarily value you and does not see you as an equal. And we saw this with Marvel um, in the 80s when Stanley, the genius of Stanley was that he took the Western comic book format, the romance comic book format, he took the space as well as the detective and melded it all together and gave these characters angst. He gave them problems with their girlfriends. He gave them issues with paying the rent, as Spider-Man would, where, you know, Aunt May couldn't come up with all the money for the mortgage and he'd have to find a way to sell more pictures to J. Jonah Jameson. And so we saw how these characters, we could relate to them. They looked and sounded and acted just like us. Now there was, there was I am, if I'm not mistaken, there was... A little bit more representation in Marvel than there was in DC. DC was a bit more of the old guard. You had Kirby with the new gods, and there wasn't a lot of representation as far as black characters. You had John Henry, I believe, as one of the Green Lanterns. Um, later, you would see John Henry's. Oh, sorry, um, John Stewart as one of the Green Lanterns. John Henry as Steel. You saw Cyborg. Um, Black Lightning, like I said before, you know, Static, um, Black Manta, Aqualad, one of the one of the newer Aqualads. Anyways, that was about it. Like there, it's embarrassingly, you know, kind of scant. And for every black character that you don't see, there's even less Asian and less Aboriginal and less, you know, Arabic and less just across the board. And so rather than beg these conglomerates, these, you know, behemoths companies to actually put us in into them, this woman took it upon herself to make her own. And that is probably the most badass thing you could actually ask for as a son to see your mom, see you hurting and seeing your, your pride. Like, just imagine if you would, you're looking at the toy racks and the toy aisles and you're you're thinking to yourself, there's nothing here that looks like me. There's nothing here that I could relate to. You know? That I could say, hey, this could look like me. Hey, this could be something that I could, could aspire to. One of, one of the great things about the Cosby show from back in the day, even though his name is kind of mud right now, was the fact that Bill Cosby's, his show, The Jeffersons, um, what else, um, In Living Color, you know, uh, Family Matters, shows like that kind of showed us, hey, we can have nuclear families. Hey, we can be people who are successful. Maybe not, we don't have to be ball players and actors. We can, you know, Doc, Dr. Huxtable was a doctor. You know, he was a gynecologist. His wife was a lawyer. 
he didn't have to be a caricature of himself. He could be somebody that, you know, could stand on his own too and be proud of who he was. Proud of what he could accomplish based on his merit and based upon his brain and based upon his will, not based upon his talent or his ability to sing or whatever else. And so when you see yourself in these characters, when you see yourself in pop culture, when you can make a reference and say, hey, that guy looks like me. This person looks like me. This person is from where I'm from. I relate. You know, we speak the same language. We're cut from that same cloth. There's a real feeling of belonging, you know? And there has been a lot made recently about the Amazon Rings of Power series that is going to take stories from um, J.R. Tolkien's masterful works of The Lord of the Rings and add characters of color. There's been lots of talk and chagrin and hand-wringing about the idea of, Turk- of taking 007, James Bond, and having them having him portrayed as a black woman or Idris Alba. We've heard uh, talk of Michael B. Jordan being asked to play, uh, you know, a, a version of Kal-El, of Superman. And to me personally, I feel like outside of the Lord of the Rings uh, discussion, I think all those other ones are a little bit ill ill advised. Because there's nothing worse, right? There's absolutely nothing worse than if you are the second choice. You know, when I used to work at Second Cup, I made it, I said, ah, the second choice, you know, because Starbucks was kind of the first, right? But you don't want to have characters, you don't want to have storylines that are just written as a kind of cast-aside, throwaway aspect of of uh, of your worth as a as a character, you don't you don't want to see a black version or a Asian version or a a white version of like Black Panther. You know that's the last thing anybody wants to see. It's corny, it's tacky, and it's just lazy. What we want to see are characters that are completely different from the Spider Mans, the Silver Surfers, the Captain Americas, the you know the Supermans, the Martian Manhunters. We want to see characters who are. Oh wait, sorry. Martian Manhunter is does uh, morph into a black guy in the in the in the in the movie. So okay, sorry about that. Um, but we want to see people who who can stand right alongside Captain America, right alongside Spider Man, and not try to take um, that already established character and that established storyline and make it into your own. Right? We want to see characters that have have depth and that have agency and that are just as vulnerable and get angry and get upset and, you know, don't want to do the dishes and stuff like that. Like the idea of just having characters that can represent who we are and the, from whatever culture you're from is huge. It's immense. And it's, and it's so important in this day and age because what we have is an ideal that everybody needs to be represented in a society that's open and democratic. And if we don't have that, what you have is this sort of really weird ideological and idealistic aspect of culture where the people who are either smart or established or who have money, who are entrenched, are seen in a certain color, in a certain light. And then the people who aren't, are, it's just everybody else, right? And it either works for, either our society works for everybody or it doesn't work for anybody. It because you can't leave anybody out. But what she did, what um, Isla Eason did, is she took it upon herself and said, "I'm going to make the, I'm going to be the change that I want to see, and I'm going to be an example for my son to show him. Hey, you know what? They, they yeah, there's a He-Man, but we have Sun Man, you know, and he's just as powerful, just as strong as he is. Hey, you know what? They've got uh, Spider-Man. We got Black Panther, you know." They've got um, Android. We have oh, we have Cyborg, right? So this story was really, really interesting, really cool. Um, there's so much more about it. I would personally love to get this creator on the show just to talk to her and, and get her perspective. Uh, she has a couple of 
interviews online that you can check out as well to kind of talk about this character. But what kind of led me to kind of check it out and to kind of get a better understanding was a gentleman by the name of Ed Duncan, who is uh, the senior VP head of design at Mattel. Being a black gentleman, his story really resonated with him that nothing had before. So he kind of reached out to her and talked about recognizing the important importance of in- inclusivity. Now, for anybody who might kind of say, well, this is just Mattel kind of race baiting and things of that nature, you got to understand that this was a character that was already established and created, and they just brought it into the fold, into the Superman, I'm sorry, He-Man universe. It's And it's not to say that this was something that they wanted to kind of, um, it wasn't like a pity kind of thing. It was like, no, this is something that we really feel can be beneficial to showcase, you know, diversity in a, in a positive, real way. This isn't taking He-Man and, you know, giving him a race swap or a gender swap. It's about stating, hey, we can stand, this is, this is the basis behind integration, right? Integration was, excuse me, chastised in the South, in South America, due to the fact of fear mongering, right? But in reality, what everybody wants is to be able to live in a space where they are recognized, where they are seen for their worth and their value, and that they can rise up to a level as equal as their peers, regardless of race. And I, I strongly believe that's what, like, you know, Yaila, um, Yaila Eason, I always, I always mispronounce her name, was able to do. You know, something that is such a real thing that we need to portray to children. Um, who are of color, who are disabled, who come from different backgrounds, that it's okay to be who you are and still still strive to be the best you possibly can be without having to tear other people down. Because you get nowhere at that point. If, If you start tearing people down who may have a little bit more money than you or a little bit more affluence or a little bit more access... You don't gain that access. That's the one thing I've, I've kind of learned and always bewilders me when people rip into other people for what they have. It's like, no, she saw, this mother saw a issue in the toy market that children of other races and cultures were not being portrayed and being targeted. And she filled that need and she was able to make up to upwards of $5 million at a time period where it was almost impossible to come up with a new IP that wasn't connected to Disney or Warner Brothers or Hanna-Barbera or Mattel or any of these large, huge conglomerates that had basically the industry in the palm of their hand. Here comes an outsider, a black outsider, a black female outsider with no experience in the toy industry whatsoever just the desire that her son would feel the same sense of pride and dignity and sort of like, you know, um, just like joy as his other friends would feel because he would have something that represented him. You know, and I think that's all we kind of want within pop culture, in particular during this modern age where there's so much to be said about the gender and the the race debates about who can write what and 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 what and what can be said about various cultures within pop culture and this is where this mother just said you know what screw all that i'm just going to make something that represents my son that represents people that look like my son that look like me and take it from there right and she ran up against a lot of criticism and a lot of obstacles as one does, but when you are trying to break the mold, when you're trying to make something that is inclusive, you're going to come up with come up against a lot of obstacles. But but she uh, she was pers- she persevered, and now 40 years later, we're seeing people still gravitating towards this character, still saying, "Look, this is amazing. We want to be a part of it. We want to purchase this. I'm going to be a purchasing one." Oh, me. Um, when it comes, when it gets released in, I think in the next couple of months, you know, I want to get my, get my hands on one and let my daughters play with it and, you know, just kind of see how far we've come as far as, you know, having everybody represented at the table, not just a select few, because if we do that, if what happens then is there's, 
there's bitterness and resentment. So, you know, to, to everybody who's out there, if, if you're listening to this and you're a creator or if you are somebody who has a different view on the marketplace, express that, explore that. That's something that people need to see. Because if this mother had just said, you know what, screw Mattel, screw the industry, they're all racist, you know, that's what it's about. And she kind of put her hands up and said, well, what are you going to do? But she actually took action. She actually took action and decided that she was going to do something. And what she did was something that is now reverberating 40 years later and probably well beyond, well beyond after that. It's going to be something that'll show that it's okay to have pride in yourself and in the things that people that look like you can create. So like the FUBUs or aspects of hip hop or um, Carl Kanai, um, hip hop clothing lines from back in the day, you know, that that were created by people that were told no. And I think that's one of the one of the things that comes to certain like subcultures, you know, um, such as hip hop and, and things of that nature where, you know, the, the suits and the people on Studio 54 in New York in the 80s weren't allowing people of a lower you know, of a lower, lower tax bracket to enter into these places. So they created their own, you know, people weren't allowed to come into, um, the baseball, major league baseball. So they created the Negro leagues, you know, the NBA was, uh, discriminatory against people. So they created the, the ABA. So there's a long history of creating spaces for people where those people are not welcome, Right. And until we all can kind of work together, you know, it, it's definitely something that's really very valuable to culture. And uh, this isn't the last we're going to be talking about this. Obviously, this is just something that I wanted to kind of, uh, you know, dip my toe in there a little bit and and just acknowledge it and realize. I mean, this is something I I'd never heard of. I had I've been a toy cult, you know, toy connoisseur, if you would, or somebody who loves toys for as long as I could remember, but I had never really heard of the the history behind it and how much that that history means to people across the board regardless of what your color is but particularly for people of color because it's it's so it's so rewarding and just acknowledging to have something that that says hey this is for you right this is something that speaks directly to you because there isn't anything else out there in the marketplace that's doing that. So yeah, kudos to Isla Eason and the whole Sunman, you know, team and kudos to Mattel for being progressive and thinking, Hey, let's bring something, let's bring something in that speaks to culture and speaks to culture in a way that doesn't defame and put down other people, but lifts people up. You know, so yeah, hopefully you found some value in this. This was a really fun episode to look into. We'll probably be doing a second one of it in the near future. We're just looking at the, at other aspects of pop culture where diversity is done right, where inclusion is done right. And where it's not something that just kind of tries to tear down people just, just due to, um, their access that you may, may or may not have. So yeah. Um, thank you for listening. Hope you're uh, taking care out there. And until next time, take care.